Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to be talking a little bit more about the W, about the PeaceWorks process and uh, in conjunction with our Domestic Violence Awareness Month series. But before we jump into that content, I want to remind you of Men of Peace. Men of Peace is our online self-paced digital course where we take all of my past content in working with abusive men and destructive men and place it into a digital course that you can walk through yourself with a shepherding team. So it's a great opportunity for anyone who has identified themselves as abusive, been confronted on their abusive behavior, and are looking for a biblical solution, a way to put this into biblical and gospel-centered context. And so we want to invite you to check that out. If you're a people helper, this is a great uh, course to use in conjunction with your homework, which is something that we found out this past year. Biblical counselors who maybe are a little intimidated by the process or perhaps are new to abuse work and you're working with an abusive individual, letting them use the digital course as homework uh, that you then counsel from has proven to be very fruitful. So if you're a helper looking for a little extra material, if you're uh, an abusive individual, a destructive individual who's being confronted and challenged on your abuse, Men of Peace uh, could be a great next step for you in your growth and transformation process. You can learn more about the Men of Peace digital course at menofpeace.org. So speaking of Men of Peace, we have been discussing over the last several weeks what we call the W, the PeaceWorks process, the way that we walk abusive men through uh, a path toward freedom and transformation and reformation. So as you recall, uh, the three major movements of the W are information, transformation, and reformation. We want to introduce abusive men to the concepts, place themselves into an understanding of their abusive behavior and choices. We want to then invite them into ownership and responsibility, uh, owning the actions, the motivations, and the impact of their behavior. We want to then draw them into the gospel, the transformative work of Jesus Christ, his provisional, positional, and practical aspects of the good news, leading them to surrender, Surrender, meaning waving the white flag, surrendering to the Lordship of Christ, committing themselves to giving up control and resting completely in God's sovereignty and direction. And then that leads us to today's conversation, the idea of reformation, the reforming of one's life and the continued discipleship in the church. You know, some friends of mine uh, in faith, uh, Lafayette, they often talk about the discipleship river and that counseling and biblical counseling in particular is a lot like uh, taking someone who has been upset or overturned by the problems of life, uh, similar to being caught in the rapids, being uh, turned over in the, in the raft, as it were, 
And biblical counseling serves as kind of an eddy, a safe place in the river to regather your materials, to uh, re-outfit your raft, and then to get back as quickly as possible into the normal flow of discipleship. Men of Peace is very similar to that in that we address the crisis of one's heart that leads to and invites and entices and tempts one to destructive behavior, to destructive choices, uh, drawing them again through the work of the gospel, and then hopefully, Lord willing, through uh, openness and receptivity and repentance, drawing them back into a discipling relationship with the church, or through obstinance and resistance and reluctance, walking them through the discipline process of the church. And the Reformation piece is really about evaluating the work that's been done, the initial stages of repentance, and then setting out a course, a plan of action moving forward within the local church for continued discipleship and observation of fruits of repentance. So today I just want to walk you through a concept, uh, some things that some of you have already read before because this is something that comes from my book, The Heart of Domestic Abuse, but I think the content is incredibly helpful. I know we've talked about it on the podcast before, but when you're setting a goal, when you're looking forward in reformation and continued discipleship, the question is what are some of the things you're looking for? Well, certainly you want to put off That is sanctification 101, right? Putting off the old man, and then you want to put on the new man. Throughout Men of Peace, most of the work that we do is about recognizing, understanding, acknowledging, accepting, owning, and taking responsibility for the things that you will need to put off. There are immediate put-offs, absolutely. There are things in which must be radically amputated from your life, no more violence, no more restraint, no more threats. Those things should be put off immediately. There are things that are going to gradually be put off, such as some of the triggering things that we do, some of the lording over, the intimidation, the coercion, the control. Oftentimes there's layers of putting off. But if we don't put something in their place, we're really running the risk of recycling Um producing you know, more respectable sins or acceptable forms of abuse. And so that's why it's really important that we begin to not just put off the old man, but to walk in step with the new man. You know, there are many ways in which we can, or, or goals, I guess I should say, or objectives we can set for this new life. And so I just want to give you six, six attributes that I highlight in my book and six attributes that I think are um, foundational to the moving forward, the continued discipleship of the church, the evidence repentance that we're longing for. And these six attributes are found in, excuse me, Exodus chapter 34. So I draw this passage out because in Exodus 34, Uh, Moses has returned to construct new tablets. He's destroyed the first tablets. If you remember, he came down from the mountain. He saw the children of Israel worshiping at the feet of the golden calf. And he, you know, crushes the tablets that were written by God. And part of his process is to now revisit with God to hand write the tablets himself. And he's returned to construct these tablets. And after completing them, 
God approaches Moses and he makes some declarations about himself. Now, there's some things about God that we cannot imitate, aspects of his sovereignty, his justice, his generational watch over his people and uh, the ways in which he judges. And so those are kind of things that belong to God. And then there are other aspects of his character uh, that we can imitate, that we do see in the New Testament. And I'm thinking of Ephesians 5 when we're told to be imitators of God as dearly loved children, that things that we can take on, we can assimilate. And I think these six attributes are worth striving for. Um, and, and that's a key part of the reforming process. And so as he passed in front of Moses, Exodus 34, verse 6 says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. While God shares additional information, as I've said, about his character, these six attributes seem adoptable and consistent with what we as believers are called to be and to do. The first of which is compassion. It is obvious when you interact with people who have been abusive and destruction that compassion is lacking in particular in the moments in which they become explosive, destructive, abusive. When they choose to harm someone else, there is a lack, a disconnect of compassion. God describes himself as compassionate. Jesus models compassion numerous times. Uh, We see that in the gospel and described of him in the New Testament. I'm thinking specifically of Matthew chapter 8. He's just delivered the Sermon on the Mount. We're told that he is moved, compelled by compassion. He is in his gut feeling compassion uh, for the people that he has come to serve. For us as believers, compassion is a characteristic um, that is a response to someone being wronged or even perceptions of someone being harmed. Paul instructs his church in Ephesians 4 to be kind and compassionate and forgiving. Notice that this happens in uh, Ephesians 4.32 in response to anger, uh, of which includes you know bitterness and maliciousness and slander, but also rage and brawling and explosive forms of anger, even violence. We instead, right, so putting off the old man, we instead are to be compassionate as imitators of God, as people who want to be like their Savior. The Lord in this passage is also gracious. In many ways, um, graciousness is lacking within an abusive relationship as someone continues to judge. We're told in Colossians 4 to let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now imagine for just a moment a husband who repents of the damaging effect of his words, his harshness, his demeanor, recognizing his selfish posture, and determines then instead to be like Jesus, in part by putting off verbal abuse and putting on graciousness. How can I be 
gracious today. We often talk about boundaries in this work and that we view other people's boundaries, right? We, we want to view them rigidly. We don't want to cross them. We want to view their boundaries with respect, but we also want to view our own boundaries with a level of grace, not being defensive, not being overly uh, offended, but instead having a level of grace that we express to everyone in our lives. That's true of abusive people who have been prone to judge, quick to be angry, quick to rage, quick to be offended, instead needing to be gracious. Number three, God says of himself, he's slow to get angry. You know, Jesus said that he didn't come with us, come to us to condemn us, right? but to save us. He patiently calls us to redemption and then calls us to love each other with the same long-suffering conviction, the same patience, the same grace. We're told in James that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So when men throw out excuses like, well, I, you know, I have a short temper, or I've got a short fuse, or I just can't help myself, or that's just the way I am, that, man, that falls short. Because that's not who you have to be, right? Instead, you're called to be slow to anger. Do you have to learn that? Yes, yeah, some of us have to learn that. Some of us have to have a new heart in order to do that. But at some point, through all of the work that we've done, in our acknowledgement of our wrongdoing, our acceptance of the gospel, our determination to surrender to the Lordship of Christ, we say, I am no longer engaging in this quick temper, quick to judge, quick to enact punishment lifestyle, I'm instead embracing a slow to anger vision. Number four, God says of himself, he's full of love. He's abounding in love. This is not just true of God's description of himself in in Exodus chapter 34. It is seen throughout all of Scripture. The most common verse that most of us learned when we were children, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. God's love is among the central themes of the entire Bible. And as we are commanded to imitate him, it is natural that most often our command to imitate him is a command to love. I've loved you, now you love each other. Love is our go-to in the process of conforming to Christ, of being like Jesus. And this is directly related to husbands. So it's, it's nothing then for us to say, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is the new pattern. This is what we're looking for. This is the observable, measurable, re- <laughs> repeatable, excuse me, uh, fruit of repentance that you love first as a pace setter of love in your home. Well, God goes on to describe himself as faithful. Also a struggle for folks who practice abuse. But God is faithful. The faithfulness of God resonates throughout Scripture as well. It's something that we encounter over and over and over. We rely on his promises. We rely on his sovereignty. We rely on his knowledge. We rely on on his patience, our family should be able to trust us. That's the bottom line. We trust God as believers. Our family should be able to trust us. Are we perfect like God? No. 
Will we let them down? Sure. Are we reliable? That's the question. Do we try to come through? Are we there for them when they need us? Are we faithful? And with abusive individuals, you often find a lack of faithfulness, a higher commitment to their work than to their family, a higher commitment to their reputation than to their family, a higher commitment to their sexual gratification than to their covenant, a higher faithfulness uh, to their position than the people that they're called to love. Instead, we are to follow God, imitate God as he is faithful. We too must become faithful. We are faithful in part because he's taught us faithfulness. And his spirit then empowers us to be faithful. Number six, God says of himself, and another attribute that we can begin to promote and adopt and put on as we've already put off all the things that we've talked about earlier in this series is being forgiven. God talks about him having a forgiving posture. Our God is a forgiving God. Jesus models his characteristic beautifully on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. While on the cross, Jesus grants forgiveness. He, he grants forgiveness throughout the New Testament and continues to do so for everyone. Where once an abusive man held his family hostage with his selfish expectations and demands, the mind of Christ now calls him to surrender his past desires for a brand new Christ-like conformity, which includes forgiveness, both receiving and granting of such. The most um, influential realization obtained by a forgiving person is the fact that he himself is forgiven. One who's been forgiven much will forgive much. Understanding the depth of our sin, that's why in, in part, Men of Peace is so focused early on about acknowledgement and understanding and accepting and taking responsibility. We've been told that if our sin is great, our Savior will be great. To see the ways in which we've harmed others, in particular our partner, and the extent to which we have brought them harm and continued to cause them harm is a pretty good motivation, a pretty good perspective on understanding now our need to forgive to be that type of person. If an abusive man can experience forgiveness for all the grievous sins, all the dramatic ways in which he's harmed his partner, his family, then certainly a forgiven and a repentant man who once functioned in abuse can anticipate being forgiven and we should actually, forgiving, excuse me, and we should actually expect that of him. I think that's one thing that separates us from many other change processes or um, change strategies is that we expect someone who claims to be a believer, a Christian, to act like a Christian. And so there's no excuses. There's no further abuse that can take place. At this point, once you've acknowledged what you've done, experienced his forgiveness, surrendered to his lordship, committed to the process of the local church, it is time to see that fruit of repentance, to see that new character flowing out of a heart that's been transformed, that new life, right, breaking through and contrasting the old life, the new history, rewriting the old history. 
I want to thank you guys for joining us today. If you have made it through this podcast and you've made it through this series and you are listening in real time, this episode drops uh, on November 1st, I believe, of 2022. I have something special for you. Would you uh, consider uh, checking the show notes for a link to a free webinar that's happening tonight? If you're listening in real time, if you are listening to this podcast on November 1st, 2022, there's a free webinar that you can participate in tonight on confronting the heart of abuse. And it would be a great follow-up to all of the work that we've done in this series. Otherwise, we're thankful that you've joined us. We're thankful that you're part of the PeaceWorks podcast, that you continue to listen week after week, and we will continue to provide, uh, as long as the Lord gives us breath, uh, information that can help you moving forward. Thank you again. Uh, Be sure to let the uh, platform you're listening on know that you value the podcast. Give us a five-star rating, rate, review, follow, subscribe, whatever that platform asks. Uh, Let them know that you value the PeaceWorks podcast. Thank you again, everybody. Until next time, God bless.